Hey there, everyone. It's Jeff from MCS Mag, and let me ask you a question. When facing a disaster, collapse, or crisis, is it better to go lone wolf and face threats on your own, or join together with a like-minded team to combine your talents and resources? Now, before you answer, let me add this. What if that team isn't so talented, not very resourceful, or even downright criminal? Hmm. Let's explore. bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging, would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. We often talk about the value of facing a crisis or collapse as a member of a survival team or mutual assistance group, collectively pulling together the resources and skills of your fellow team members to magnify your own individual abilities to face any threat and potentially even violence as a unified force. Now, to pull this off, it's going to take masterful command, control, and coordination to be sure. But perhaps even more difficult are the social conflicts that you could face by choosing to be part of the wrong group or even in recruiting other members into your own team. And the last thing you want is to find out that you have the wrong lineup smack dab in the middle of a crisis when you need everyone's cooperation and skills, right? So how do you determine if you have the right team prior to a critical trigger event that puts your team into action so you don't find out the hard way that there's going to be trouble? Well, that's exactly what we're here to find out now. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine, with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And my guest today to discuss how to properly vet and filter your own mutual assistance group is survival expert Jim Cobb. Jim, welcome to the program. How are you doing? Thanks for having me here. It's going to be awesome. I've been, I've been reading your articles and stuff, and I love the, what you've got in the magazines, and I'm looking forward to finally introducing your uh, your information over to our to our audience. This is going to be awesome. So, so listen, everyone. Jim is a recognized authority and consultant on disaster readiness planning. He's written several books on the subject, and he's a frequent contributor to those niche magazines such as Off Grid, American Survival Guide, and Survivor's Edge. He's also been a speaker at several conferences and expos, giving both lectures as well as leading small groups, and he's also a featured instructor in the Make Ready to Survive DVD series. Now, Jim's expertise is in really finding common sense and practical solutions for those who understand the need Need to be better prepared for life's little curveballs, and you can find out more about his training at his website, www.survivalweekly.com. Now, Jim, it, it may seem to some that going through like some sort of a vetting process with a prospective survival group member could be seen as like invasive or maybe even like really offensive to somebody. And I think most people just kind of figure that they can just trust their gut. You know what I mean? Like if if the guy's got like that that tactical contractor beard and he's wearing 511 tactical pants and you check out his bumper stickers and he's got, you know, don't tread on me and Ron Paul written on there, that they're probably pretty much good to go. But what are some of the things that you think could go wrong by choosing the wrong person for your team that would maybe convince people that this is a worthwhile process to pursue? Well, I equate inviting somebody into your team or group 
as though you're inviting somebody to join your family. And you wouldn't invite somebody into your home for a long period of time without getting to know them a little bit and trying to, you know, figure out what they're all about. Now, there is something to be said about trusting your gut. I mean, I'm I'm a very strong believer in intuition and, you know, listening to that inner voice in the back of your head. But with that said, you need to apply a judicious amount of common sense and take some very basic measures to make sure that the person you're inviting to join your team is going to be a good fit. The last thing you want is to have somebody join your team and you find out down the road they're a thief, they're a liar, they're a drunk, they're a drug addict, they're a pedophile. There's, you know, all these different things that can be easily found out ahead of time and handled appropriately before a crisis hits, rather than, you know, you're three days in to a massive power outage, they're an EMP strike, whatever the case is, and that's when you find out that this guy has a history of abusing people, of being lazy, of stealing things that aren't his, you know, all that kind of stuff. Do your homework ahead of time, otherwise you're going to pay for it later. Yeah, and sometimes it's even just like personality conflicts. I mean, I know family members that <laughs> I love them, but you know, I can barely stand to spend like a day with, you know, with some family members. So, you know, even even those kind of things when the and, and I think even under stress, you know, I mean, even in the best of times, they might seem like they're really easy to get along with. But, you know, I think we've seen enough reality shows, you know, like Survivor and, you know, lots of others where when the chips are down, people can be really kind of cranky and, you know, obnoxious and and, you know. Teams can, can can kind of dwindle from there. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, I, you know, I think that most people don't like to they don't like conflict, right? You know, I think that's why maybe like when you say use your intuition, it's better maybe to err on the side of using your intuition, like hmm, something doesn't really feel right here, as opposed to just giving somebody a pass because, like I said, they might they might look the you know they might look like the the total package, but you know, you've got to dig a little bit deeper than that. But I, I can see where it would be hard for someone to really get up enough nerve to even ask someone to willingly put themselves under the microscope in order to, you know, get that secret handshake, like into the survival group. So <laughs> what's what's the best way to approach this with a prospective member of the group in order to see if it's even worth taking the next steps? Well, one of the things I always suggest is be very upfront and honest about the whole thing. You, you shouldn't blindside the person. You know, if let's say I have a group and I'm looking for new members and Joe Blow is, you know, introduced to me by one of the group members, he works with them down at the shop. And, you know, Joe's interested in preparedness. He wants to learn more about it. He's very eager to get involved with an established group. Great. Wonderful. The very first thing I'm going to do when I sit down with him, I'm going to introduce myself. I'm going to tell him very little about the group, and everything I do mention is on a very surface level. And then I'm going to explain to him that 
we are going to conduct an extremely thorough background check before we go any further. And the reason I want to do it up front is I don't want to waste my time and I don't want to waste his time. If the thought of somebody doing a background check makes him uncomfortable to the point where he kind of balks at it, that is a red flag in and of itself. That's telling me, okay, he might not have something to hide, but he thinks he does. Hmm. And why? What is it that he doesn't want me to know? So you're saying even if they don't even like consciously know it, if there's even like that hesitation, there might be something in their mind like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That might even be happening on a on like a subconscious level. Right, exactly. Now, the thought of somebody doing a background check, it makes everybody a little, sure. a little nervous. <laughs> Absolutely, I mean, that, that's yeah. understandable. You know, but if it reaches to the level where Joe is like, you know what, I'm not really cool with that, scratch him off the list. He's done. We're all done with that conversation. You know, we'll move on from there. If I'm going to invite somebody into my group, I need to be able to trust them. If I can't trust them, I don't want them backing me up. It's as simple as that. Mm. And by the same token, he needs to know that, you know, he needs to feel he can trust me. And neither one of us are going to get to that point unless we do a little bit of homework and do a little bit of digging. So it's also the the what's in it for me sort of thing, like putting it back for them. Like the other thing that you get out of this is that you know if you're allowed in this team, if every if it's a good fit for both of us, then you also know that the people that you will be training alongside or potentially even surviving alongside, they've been vetted as well. Everybody's going through this process. It's not just you. So you can come in understanding that you've got a good foundation for us to build on as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes total sense. Okay, we've been talking with Jim Cobb of survivalweekly.com about how to properly vet your survival team. And obviously we have we have a lot more to get to and it's all coming right up including no nonsense tricks to spot liars and zombie survival wannabes. Your super simple checklist of where to find the skeletons hidden in a recruit's closet and how to Google slap some truth out of an applicant's public persona to find out the real deal on what you can expect from them when the going gets tough. But first, check out this special message. In any disaster, crisis, or attack, your life and the life of those you love could solely rest on the survival gear you've acquired. Do you have the proper gear to protect you from the threats you'll face? Whether it's preparing your home against the destruction and mayhem of a city in chaos, or you're bugging out to a safer location when a natural disaster forces you from your home, the supplies you have right now could ensure your survival or seal your fate. Don't take the risk. Claim your free copy of our exclusive guide, Survival Gear Secrets, at survivalgearsecrets.com and discover the seven-phase survival gear plan every family must prepare for or face the consequences. Five no-bullshit warning signs that a collapse is headed your way, so you're already in action long before your neighbors even know what hit them. 
and how to know exactly when it's safer to stay at home and shelter in place. Or get in the family bug out mobile and get the hell out of Dodge. Your fellow citizens may be fine with sleeping in a crowded stadium waiting for FEMA to hand them a granola bar, juice box, and a blankie. But you know that no one can protect your family better than you can if you're properly prepared with the right supplies and equipment to ensure your survival. Don't wait until it's too late. Find out what's missing from your survival gear plan by grabbing your free copy of Survival Gear Secrets now at www.survivalgearsecrets.com. And now, back to our show. Okay, we're back with Jim Cobb of SurvivalWeekly.com talking about how to filter out the knuckleheads of your survival team to avoid social conflict during a crisis when you need cohesion the most. Now, we're going to dig into some real good how-to steps here. So let's go ahead and jump right back in now. Now, Jim, when we're talking about like filtering out or, or even like filtering in survival team members, I guess I kind of look at this like it's a job interview in a way, you know? I mean – everybody's been on a job interview before or, you know, I've held job interviews and you can pretty much expect a job applicant to try to highlight all the good stuff and then skirt around all the bad stuff, you know, the stuff that might not get you the job. So I know that you're also a, a private detective. And so I, you're, you're probably used to interviewing some people and, and who have that same agenda where they want you to see the best and not the worst. So what techniques do you find work best for getting the straight scoop from someone about their past or information that can help you dig deeper on your own into what they might really be like as a member of your group? One of the best techniques that I've ever used is also one of the simplest. Keep your mouth shut. Mm. And by that I mean ask your question, you know, ask them to elaborate on why they left their last job. And then no matter what they say, don't respond to it right away. Just sit in silence. And, you know, pay attention to them. Don't ignore them, but just be quiet. The vast majority of the population abhors silence. And when they're having a conversation with somebody and it gets real quiet, they feel psychologically compelled to fill that void. And they'll just keep talking. And invariably, they will tell you things that they may not have intended to tell you originally. It just kind of fell out. You can see this at work really easy with your kids. You can practice on them. <laughs> Seriously. Have conversations. Oh, I have a teenager. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. You just, you just be quiet and let them tell you what they don't want to tell you. And on top of that, pay attention to the body language. Now, Body language, I mean, we could talk for hours just on that alone, but in a nutshell, the key elements to remember when you're talking about body language, number one, no single indicator is definitive. And by that, I mean just because somebody crosses their arms, that does not automatically mean that they're lying to you or that they're antagonistic. Hmm. It could mean that they're cold. It could mean that they're nervous. It could mean many different things. You need to look at the person as a whole, and every little bit of body language adds up to a final total, and that's what you interpret. On top of that, 
you need to understand that every human being is different. Everybody reacts to things in a different way. A great example of this, I interviewed for a job many years ago. And as I'm sitting with the person of human resources, I am absolutely freezing. I, I don't know what the temperature was in that room. I had on a sport coat, and I, I was literally shivering. And I could tell in talking to this person, she thought I was nervous. She kept trying to, you know, it was obvious to me she was, like, trying to reassure me. And I finally, I said, ma'am, can you turn up the heat? I, I'm just cold over here. I'm surprised my fingers aren't blue. You know, you need to take everything into account when you're talking to somebody. And when you're interviewing them or talking to them or vetting them to join a survival group or a mutual assistant group, you need to take all that into account. And it's crucial because you're not just interviewing them for a job. Like I said at the outset, you're inviting them into your home. You're inviting them to spend a lot of time with your loved ones. And it's pretty important that you get to know the real person. Yeah. You know, I've and I've used that. Um, you were talking about the, like the silence technique, and I've used that so many times. It's my favorite technique whenever I was interviewing a job applicant, and I tend to ask questions that really force them to call on, not just like you know, like what do you think your best traits are, sort of stuff, but get them to come up with specific examples from their past. Like, tell me about a time. Like one of my favorites is like, tell me about a time when your supervisor, um, you know. Uh, or, or something like, you know, what would you, what would your previous supervisor say is the number one thing that you need to work on to be a better employee? And that's, you know, it's asking somebody to basically come up with something negative about themselves. And so often you get this like, hmm, I don't, I don't really know. I, I don't think they would say anything. And so my response would be, well, you know what, just go ahead and think about it because everybody has something. Um, but I have time and then I'll just start jotting down, notes down on my notepaper like, hmm, and just you can see them kind of squirm. You know, it's like yeah. that that silence is so uncomfortable for them that they know that they'll reach deep into their brain and pull something out. Um, and, and it works every single time. So that, I love that, that you brought up that technique. That's awesome. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about some of the checks that you can do to make sure that you have the right kind of team member. Now, obviously, one of the first things that you'll want to avoid is having somebody who's a criminal on your team because, like you said, if they have a problem with stealing or drugs or something like that, you know, it's pretty much a safe bet that you could wake up one day and find that all of your supplies are long gone. Or, or if maybe somebody is a sex offender, you're obviously not going to want to have them around your kids, so they're a no-go for the group. But is it even possible... I mean, you're a private detective, so you have access to all of these different systems and everything. But what about for the average citizen? I mean, can they actually do like a background check on another person? I mean, what? how exactly would someone go about checking on someone's background like that? Well, when it comes to criminal records in particular, I don't have access to anything you don't have access to. I just know where to look. And that's what it boils down to. You know, when I first started out as a private detective, I mentored under who is, quite honestly, one of the most intelligent men I've ever met in my life. And that was the very first lesson he ever taught me about the business. It's not that a detective knows everything. We just know where to find it. And with criminal records, for example, cr criminal records are a matter of public record, with very rare exceptions. 
the easiest way to access them is in person down at the courthouse. The county courthouse maintains the records. Go down there. If you don't know where to go, find the clerk court's office. The clerks would be more than happy to explain to you how to do a search. Almost every county in America is computerized at this point. It might not be, the records might not be accessible via the internet. That's why I say you have to go to the courthouse, but the courthouse will have the computers. The, somebody will sit you down and explain to you exactly how to do the search. You plug in their name, maybe their date of birth if you have it, and see what pops up. Now, when we look at criminal records, it's up to you to decide what's good, what's bad, what's a deal breaker, what you can deal with. For example, if somebody has, you know, a couple of disorderly conducts, well, okay, there were 10 years ago and the person, you know, hasn't been in trouble since, so that might be okay. If the person has seven drunk driving tickets in the last 15 years, that might be indicative of an issue with alcohol or, you know, if they have convictions for drugs or, you know, whatever the case is, e each situation is different. It's going to be a judgment call to decide what you're able to accept and what is what takes them completely off the table. I also suggest looking at the civil court filings. For those who might not be familiar with it, criminal is when you've committed a, a crime, when you've broken the law. Civil is everything else. Civil includes, you know, bankruptcies, lawsuits, divorces, things like that. Take a look at the civil records. If they might be squeaky clean under the criminal side of things, but when you look at the civil and they've been sued 35 times in the last 10 years by landlords and collection agencies and things like that, hmm. that might tell you that this person, you know, has a problem with responsibility. It might reveal other things. I mean, it could just mean that, you know, they've been going through a really rough financial patch, you know, and that's where talking to them face to face will bring that out. But you, you should know these things, and they're easy to access. And I've, I have yet to go to a courthouse where they charge me a fee to sit down and do that research. If I want to print something out, yeah, it might cost me something. But it costs me nothing but my time and my gas money to and from the courthouse to sit down and take a look at this stuff. Hmm. Sex offender registries, they're online all over. Every state has a sex offender registry, and then there's the national one. Check both. There's a, the national one should incorporate everything at the state level, but just in case something was missed, check both of them. You, if this person was convicted of a sex crime, you're going to want to know about it, especially if it involved a kid or something like that. If you know that's the case, you probably don't want to invite them into your home. All these things are simple. They're relatively easy to do, especially after you've done it once or twice, and the information is accessible to everybody. It, you know, I'm a private detective. I've been doing it for, you know, almost two decades now. That doesn't mean I have, you know, the gold key that gets me behind the green door to see where Oz is. I just know where to look. I know where to find the files. 
Does it help to have a like have them fill out a form, like a background check form, like a um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like an application. Yeah, like an application, but basically a consent form. You could. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it might help you down the road. You know, if you start getting into things like uh, if you're ever going to want to want to run their credit report or something like that. You absolutely need yeah. a signed release from them. Um, what I like, I like to do a, a very short form that basically, you know, they give me their name, their date of birth, their current address, former addresses, uh, current place of employment, former place of employment, and then just, you know, a signature at the bottom that acknowledges we're going to use that information to conduct a thorough background check. And leave it at that. I, I deliberately leave it as vague as possible. That way it doesn't hinder me should I need to do something down the road with that information. Right. Right. Well, I'll tell you, when I, whenever I'm hiring a new employee, one of my favorite resources is just to go straight to Google and what, and just start looking them up. I mean, just, I mean, it's amazing what's out there. I mean, good or bad, most people don't even think about their online presence. They might think about it in relation to their friends or what they're posting in like social media, but they don't think about that, just how that goes all the way around the world and how much of like a fingerprint that is on who they are as a real, you know, as, the, as a person. So what resources and te techniques have you found useful for kind of, you know, peeking into like their character traits? You know, we talk about things like the official records and everything, but we also want to know what they're like as a person so that we can kind of vet out any personality conflicts that there might be as well. I mean, what are, what are some things that, that might be red flags that we could find online? Well, you definitely want to check their social media accounts, particularly Facebook, Twitter, uh, Pinterest, if they're active on that, you know, things like that. It seems like every month there's a new social media website or app or whatever but Facebook and Twitter tend to be, you know, relatively stable. You're going to want to take a look, just for an example, on Facebook. Take a look at the things that they've posted over the last couple of years. Take a look at the, the jokes that they share. Take a look at the phrasing they use, things like that, because that's going to give you insight into their personality. If, for example, you have a very diverse group of many different ethnic backgrounds and this person consistently and constantly is posting anti-black or anti-anything jokes and things like that they might not be the best fit for your group by taking a look at their posts their jokes their photos it really will give you insight as to who they are as a person or at least who they want people to think they are. And that's critical. Hmm. We all know people who we're friends with on Facebook who are constantly posting vacation photos and photos of beautiful houses and things like that. And we know darn well that's not how they're living, but that's what they want people to think. If you check out this person's, you know, this applicant's Facebook page. And it's all about, you know, trips overseas and going to Jamaica and, you know, sitting on the beach and all that. 
and through conversation with them, you know that's not true. They're just wanting people to think that. Your next question in your head should be, why? Why is that so important to this person? And if they're willing to go that far with trying to make people think there's somebody that they're not, do you want them watching your back during a crisis? Or are they just going to want people to think that they did something when they really didn't down the road? Yeah. Yeah. I, the other thing I think about is, I mean, and, and I know you know this, but you know, we're constantly in this struggle right now with 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 the growth of survivalism or whatever you want to prepping or whatever anybody wants to call it. There's kind of like the fantasy side of it, you know, and then there's the, the there's the real practical stuff, and you know, we could argue all day long about what you know what lies in between there or what is what's on either side of those polarities, but. You know, I think also if you if you really are following like a practical plan, something that's a common sense plan that you could you could actually use, you probably wouldn't want like the zombie assassin, you know, ninja dude in inside your your group. And you know, sometimes we get, you know, somebody will will place a post on um or you know comment on our blog or something like that, and you can kind of tell, especially especially if you go to YouTube, forget it. You know, you get the like the thirteen year old mentalities over on YouTube. You can you can see really where those extremes are there. So I always wonder, like, you know, how do you find out if somebody really is a practical prepper versus I've been I've I've seen every episode of The Walking Dead, you know, twenty seven times, and I can you know slay a zombie with my samurai sword. Well, I can tell you this: in my experience, somebody who's willing to meet face to face with you automatically gets a leg up because the vast majority of the keyboard warriors out there never leave the keyboard. Mm. They never leave mommy's basement. So that right there gets them a gold star. If they're willing to leave the house and meet with you at Starbucks or Panera or something like that, they've already plateaued beyond what a lot of them are willing to do. Beyond that, it doesn't hurt to just ask them some very basic procedural questions. Mm, good point. You know, if if they're portraying themselves to be very well versed in firearms, ask them a few questions about firearms they own, and you know, use your own knowledge to kind of test them. And why? And ask them why. <laughs> right. You know, if they talk about you know, just, you know, last month we went and hiked the Appalachian Trail, you know, we did, you know, a couple hundred miles of this or that, and they show up and they're obviously about 200 pounds overweight, I would call into question whether they've hit the Appalachian Trail anytime recently. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying there's something wrong with being overweight. I'm saying if they're telling you that they just went on a multi-week hiking expedition, they're probably not going to look like that. Yeah. You know, a lot of this is common sense, Jeff. I mean, when you sit down and with the person, most of us can get a pretty good read fairly quickly as to whether the person is legit or not. I mean, if I'm looking for a new group member and the guy shows up and he's wearing ribbons and all these other, you know, decorative memorabilia 
from every branch of military service, that's going to tell me he probably has never set foot on any type of military base ever in life. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're telling me that they were a part of this super secret black ops team that was in Central America dealing with drug runners, I'm probably going to doubt that. And I'm going to ask to see a copy of their 214. And when they, well, you know, there's two versions of it. There's this one that's been sanitized, but my <laughs> real one has, a, no, that, that's a load of crap. Yeah. You know, it's as simple as that. That's just a load of crap. And I'm all done talking to that person because I know that. Yeah. Or even just asking them, I guess, you know, what, you know, what steps they've taken so far in preparing for an emergency and, and, and asking them, you know, why. So, and, and again, but it really requires people, I think, to, you've really got to know things yourself in order to be able to know if what they're saying is, is practical or not and whether they're open to new ideas, you know, too. But here's, here's the thing that I wonder if people really think about also because they might be very knowledgeable. And they might be very well prepared. They might have a complete arsenal at home and be able to tell you the nomenclature and exactly why they do all that stuff. And they might be splatting that stuff all over the, the online universe for everybody to see. And, you know, one of the things that we don't talk about in this one because this is about a different topic, but when it comes to survival teams, you certainly don't want the entire neighborhood to know that you're taking on the zombie horde out of your basement. And so, Otherwise, you're, you know, they're going to start knocking on the door when, when you know, crisis time comes. Right. So if you have somebody that likes to brag all the time, if they're bragging to you or if that's how they were brought to you because they were bragging to their friend at work who's your friend about how you know, about his arsenal and, man, this guy was telling me he's got like, you know, three years of MREs in his basement and stuff. Well, if he's bragging about it, you know, you've really got to worry about, is he going to give away everything about the team or other people's locations? Or is he going to be bragging? Yeah, now I'm a member of a survival team and we've got this thing. We've got, you know, now between all of us, we have, you know, 47 guns now. And you've really got to take that into account, too. It's gone are the days where you could kind of boost your ego by, you know, letting everybody know just how prepared you are. It's it's a different day and time. Oh, it is. Absolutely. You know, and Loose lips sink ships, yeah. as the as the saying goes. The one caveat that I, I try to instill into people is there's a difference between bragging and you know sharing too much and trying to encourage people to prep. You know, and and it's a very fine line. Yeah, you know, and it's one that every instructor, every author fights with on a daily basis because. We want to spread the word. We want people to get more prepared. We want to teach them the skills that they need. But at the same time, we don't want them knocking on our door when the crisis hits. You know, because we have our own people to worry about. I can't provide for my entire community. So, yeah, I mean, if the person down at the shop is talking about preparedness, and expresses interest in those topics and you know even if they could even go so far as to talk about shows like the walking dead but approach them in a more practical manner right you know and not necessarily talking about zombies but you know i never thought to go look at that location for that supply that was kind of a neat little twist yeah you know 
that kind of stuff is awesome. But yeah, if the person's, you know, yep, I just got my fifth AR, got that this weekend, and, uh, you know, I'm going to add that to the arsenal along with the 87 other rifles and shotguns I own. Yeah, I don't even need to talk to that person. Yeah, and it really is a balancing act, too. I mean, the other thing is you really don't want maybe to take on somebody who's too green. I mean, I guess that's part of it is that um, you looking at skill sets, too you know, as part of what they have to contribute to the team. They might not even be preppers, but they might be interested in it. But I can tell you, Jim, like I can't fix a car and I can barely build it. I mean, I barely passed building the toolbox inside of, you know, shop class. So those are skill sets I might have. And, you know, trying to find that the perfect mechanic who's also really heavy into prepping could be a challenge as well. But, you know, then, You've got to look at, I guess, like the total skill set for somebody to make sure that they have the, not just the skills or the supplies or, you know, things like that, but just the the abilities. Like you said, if they're really overweight and you guys need to bug out somewhere because it's no longer safe where you're at, now all of a sudden you've got somebody who is, you know, kind of holding the, the group back or you've got to help take their gear as well because they can't carry it. And boy, there's a lot of stuff, isn't there? There's a lot of juggling. Oh, there is. There yeah. is. You know, and every... Everything is a, a balancing act. Yeah. You know, you got to take the good with the bad. I mean, the guy might be the world's best mechanic and he can MacGyver a solution for anything, but he doesn't know how to cook. He doesn't know how to take care of himself. He doesn't know how to shoot a gun. You know, okay, well, you know, are we willing to bring in somebody who let, here's one for you. Let's say they're morally opposed to taking a life. For, you know, religious reasons, ethics reasons, whatever, they, they're very upfront. They will not hold a gun. They will not fire on another human being. But they're a full medical doctor who has had extensive ER training and combat medic training. Are you willing to, you know, take that person in? You know, it's going to, the answer is going to be different for everybody. Yeah. You know, and that's why you have to have the conversation with the person and get to know them. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, Jim, I really appreciate it. Listen, everybody, uh, as you can tell, there's a, there's really a lot that, go, uh, that goes into this. It's, again, it's not just about command control, supplies, guns, bullets, beans, and all that. It's really your survival team is about people more than anything. And you've got to make sure that you've got a solid foundation of the right people and that's not just who looks the coolest or who has, you know, who has slain the, the most zombies or who can get the tightest shot group with their weapons. So there's, there, you really do have to check into who the people are, what they know, and, you know, what they don't want you to know. So uh, definitely go and check out Jim's website. He's got a lot of information there. He writes a lot for, for different magazines, and he's at, he has his own books, and, and you can find those connected there as well. So definitely go check him out over at www.survivalweekly.com. And until our next Modern Combat Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying train hard, stay safe, prepare now. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. 
and we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. <laughs>